it Tacoma hits. The decline of Western civilization. This is Off the List. Welcome back to Off the List, everybody. I mean, at this point, you know what's on the list. You should. All right? And you know that we're crossing stuff off it. In particular, I, Ben, the music nerd, I'm supplying the music for Nadira to cross off, and Nadira, the movie nerd, she's supplying the movies for me to cross off. That's me. And that's pretty much it. So, in classic Philip DeFranco style, let's just jump into it. Oh, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's jump in to what I would call our, definitely our punk week. Uh, Yes. it's, it's, It's full on our punk week. We have a very, very interesting documentary and an off the list first where for the first time, both of us are watching the movie at the yeah. um, for the first time. But to start, we are going to be talking about Itokoma Hits by Japanese punk band Odoboke Beaver. And I said pre-recording and Indira said I have to repeat it verbatim. And I will repeat this verbatim as many times as I need to. Every time I listen to this album, I just want to punch someone. Yes. And I wanted to say that thought before I just simply asked Nadira, do you also want to punch someone? I mean, do I? <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> no, I do. This album, um, I mean, I guess I'm trying to figure out where to start. Um, but yeah, if we just want to go with general thoughts first. Um, this was it. This album was it. So far is my favorite. They, this is the shit. Um, oh, yes. And not yes. only do I want to punch, like it's giving, it's not just giving like I want to punch you. It's giving I'm going to curb stomp you with the Doc Martens. I tricked you into buying for me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more than just like violence, which will be a running theme. Um, of this episode yeah but it's it's also like a sort of savviness you know a sort of like i'm better than you i'm cooler than you i've won up to you somehow but no this it makes me want to punch someone it makes me want to smash the patriarchy well every day makes me want to smash the patriarchy (laughs) it makes me want to um i don't know punch my dad and hug my mom you know what i'm saying like it's it's very (laughs) it's very um women led women forward they fucking killed it. And I don't know. I don't know what the hell they were saying. But I know what they were saying. You know what yes. I'm saying? Like, yes, I, exactly. Exactly. I was like, I feel I feel this. And I tried to look up the lyrics, um, but there are Genius is really... no help this time. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, no. And, and, and I was just kind of like, but I feel this more than I've felt the other albums previously maybe because i'm angry inside who knows maybe this is i feel like this will be a very personal journey for me this episode (laughs) well okay i will say really quickly about the lyrics it's really actually quite hard to find what the lyrics are translated to um you can google translate them but they don't work out well but i did read a blog post once where it talked about a lot of the general overarching themes and they're pretty standard for punk it's a lot of heartbreak anger and societal ills that you express through rage. And I want to provide just a quick little back context for this band. Please do. Otoboge Beaver has been in the Japanese punk scene for 
years at this point. This is technically their debut album, but they've been working for about 10 years. And the way that they recorded is they were super DIY, did it kind of all by themselves. And then they got picked up by a label and they were just recording single songs and putting them out as singles for years. And they became really known for a legendary live show where Mm -hmm. they somehow managed to combine the visceral nature of a punk show with the aesthetics of perfection that kind of perpetuate Japanese culture and the way that they have these really intense, intense percussive performances where everyone is just absolutely playing out of their minds with a lot of technical talent, but they're still managing to capture that raw punk energy. And for years, they just kind of built up more and more of a reputation. The album opener is actually kind of a cult hit, but it came out like five years ago. And then Mm. just a couple years ago, they eventually said, all right, let's just take everything we've been recording over these years and mash it into a single album. And to me, it blows my mind that this album was recorded over what is essentially a decade. Like yeah, all that's of, crazy. The fact that all of these songs are so cohesive and line up so well together despite being recorded over so many different periods of these band members' lives. And I, I just want to say that the playing on this album is technically absurd. They have okay, listen, listen, so listen, much listen, precision. Listen, listen, who plays the fucking bass? Because whoever played the bass is <laughs> bass do you get it yeah <laughs> no but who whoever played the bass i mean obviously like vocals guitar drums everything but the bass was really i was like oh this person is showing the fuck out like bass is played by uh hirochan listen hirochan was out here killing it hirochan mm-hmm. was like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i came to do and also, what i needed to do yes playing like the rent was due she was and- she was playing like the rent was due. <laughs> but additionally, beyond that, I find that it's so interesting how they managed to tie together this kind of perfectionism within their technique. Like every single player is ungodly talented at their instrument and can play at this breakneck pace the whole time. But at the same time, you never feel like it's this clean cut prim performance. Every moment feels like you just jumped into a taxi that you looked and the the driver just gave you this crazy look and hit like slammed on the gas and you have no idea where you're going but they're just somehow managing to dodge every car in traffic with perfect precision at the last second i mean yeah i think that that's how punk should feel you know at least at its purest most elevated elevated form is like it's not I don't know. I guess we'll get into it more because I think the documentary talks about this. But to me, punk was never never the the violence itself as much as the adrenaline of the violence, you know? So so it's it's not about like if we're using that that taxi metaphor, it's it's not about getting to the destination. It's about going through the traffic. It's you know, it's about being mm-hmm. close to colliding but not colliding. And that's where like that's where the tension is. That's where the friction is. Is that like it's a very very small space but it's also incredibly big i don't know i love punk music this is great i i think that because it comes from a different culture that has a different edge that the closest band to this 
in America is Sleater Kinney, which mm-hmm. Sleater Kinney is incredible. Do not get mm-hmm. me wrong. The Woods is one of the best American rock records ever made, but there is something about their technical nature combined with the fact that they're adopting a genre that did not start in their country. And they're talking about the themes that really impact Japanese culture. A lot of the issues of feminism within Japanese culture, work culture, and they take all of those elements and they just hype it up to a million and a half because I think that that's, from my impression, how a lot of people feel about Japanese culture is that a lot of the consumerism and workaholism that exists in America are nothing compared to what's seen in Japan. So it makes sense that the punk rebelling against that would go even harder. Like some of the songs on here, I cannot believe how hard they go. Like don't light my fire. I cannot (laughs) believe that that song exists. Okay. 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 Is that the one where at the end they just whisper, go to hell Yes. And then, yes. So it's like, go to hell, go to hell, yep. go to hell. And I'm like, yes. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. This music is so gratifying. And I think that that is probably the key to just everything in terms of the genre. Like, it's just, it's just so gratifying. It just, it just makes you feel like, you're being understood or that you have something you can understand that is simultaneously really insular, but also really universal. And so I think it's a lot of conflicting things coming together, but in a way that feels so satisfying, you know, and it's just like, yes, I understand this message. I understand this energy. I understand this speed, this urgency. I understand this frenetic nature. And here I am, finally understanding it and letting myself give into it. And I like what you were saying about different cultures, because I think a part of the reason why I like this so much is because they don't, they don't unravel to the point of almost nothing the way American and British, but mostly American punk bands do, as we will Mm -hmm. talk about from the documentary. And that's probably because of what you were saying about just the sort of like the inherent need for or value of perfection and sort of not strictness but like keeping everything like tight I don't know what the word Mm -hmm. is for that um but that exists in Japanese culture and I think that's why I really like it because I feel like they really really push the boundary of of that like unraveling thing that punk has right it's just really it's just really satisfying to like teeter on the edge that way and just to have them do it and also be screaming about like feminist stuff, you know? Yeah. Where they talk about their issues of weight in Japanese culture, about binge mm-hmm. eating, about workaholism. They, the six days working a week is a pain. That is an amazing song title. And I'm tired of your repeating story. Also yes. amazing. Yes, exactly. All of these things, they bring, I can't even imagine what it would feel like. Actually, I'll rephrase this. I feel like listening to this, obviously neither of us are from Japan, but listening to this from Japanese culture must hit in a way where it's the same unraveling that punk did here, where it just hits a nerve point so hard, so fast, and so rapidly that all it does is shock the system. 
Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, and let's talk about that rapid thing. I mean, this album is only what, like 27 minutes long or something like that. It's 27 minutes long. Some songs only last about like 50 seconds. And it feels like you've been, it feels like you just had a really, really like satisfying venting session with your best friend for like three hours, you know, but it's only 27 minutes. I also think that there are or there is a reputation about screaming in music and how it's done. And there are very few bands I found. Uh, side note to this. Every person in this band is a vocalist. Every person in this band is a mm-hmm. singer. They they have some of the best gang vocals I've heard in my entire life. But mm-hmm. with that said, when every single one of them scream, I can only think about how childish most screamo bands in America sound compared yeah. to the pure rage and fury that they unleash in these split seconds where they go from singing or even like talking in a monotone voice to all of a sudden just pitching up into this high pitched wail that is so flawless. It, every time it blows my mind. Yeah, you know what I was thinking <laughs> is that. Screaming is such a vulnerable thing. It's such a vulnerable thing to do with your voice. That's why people... And it's that's why, like, even if people are alone, they'll scream into a pillow. Because it's it's such a vulnerable thing. And I'm not someone who's, like, prone to screaming. Like, I, I never... Like when I'm frustrated, I just cry. Like I don't, I don't yeah. feel, I don't feel the need to scream. Like I'm not someone who screams necessarily. I'll yell to some lyrics. I'll yell at someone, but I don't scream. Like I can't tell you the last time I just s- screamed. Like I don't even. For I don't me, know. It was driving, but... listening to "I Know the End" by Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, that's fair. One one day, you know what you should do? You should use this podcast as a vehicle to make me a Phoebe uh, Bridgers stand. But um, Punisher will come. It just need it. It'll be like that. Uh, all right, everyone here right now. Punisher is our one year anniversary. She's already listened to it. I don't give a fuck. It's gonna be our one year. No, anniversary. I haven't. I haven't. That's the thing. Oh my god! All right, you can't listen to Punisher for one year. It'll be our okay. One year. <laughs> okay, okay. I will. I will do that for you. And also, I probably just. We'll do that. But um, yeah. but yeah, so sorry, just to get back to this point that I was trying to make, which I don't even know what I was where I was going with it. But screaming is such a vulnerable thing. And you're right, like the way that they do it with such perfection and such integrity. I think that's the thing. They do it with such integrity that it really makes you feel it. And it's also very like, I don't know when I was listening to their music, when I was listening to this album, as opposed to other bands that I've heard scream on tracks, it just felt like, oh, they're really... They're putting it all out there. Not like they're putting on a facade or like this is how they think their feelings should sound. But like they have literally exhausted all of the words and all of the normal tonalities to express themselves. And all they have left is a scream. And what a vulnerable thing to include, just like in a genre in general for punk, which I think makes sense for it. But also just what a vulnerable thing to include in your album and what a vulnerable way to get your message out. And I didn't really think about that until I listened to this album and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't scream. And also like how vulnerable would it be if I did, you know, like it's just, a, it's such a leap to make. I I love this. I love that take so, so, so much. I think I've always kind of emotionally understood it, but you vocalized it so well for yeah. me. 
And because I, I love screaming to this album, but I will never like do it in public. And it's not because I'm embarrassed of it. It's because it is vulnerable and it's me expressing like a rage. It's a fury. And those are really hard emotions to express in public because they're so vulnerable. And you're right. When they scream, it feels like an exhaustion. They've run out of other tools and they said, well, only other thing we have is this scream. And in that moment, you clearly, it's kind of like you said with their words, like you don't understand the language they're speaking. But as soon as that scream comes out, you're like, oh no, I understood everything. I understood Mm -hmm. every single word. Yeah. Yeah, no, man, this shit hits hard. And I was, yeah, I mean, just to get back to like the concert, the the thing I was thinking when those 27 minutes were up, I was like, whoever got to hear any of this live, you're so lucky. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like what I wouldn't give to hear this album and just them in general live, like, uh, it's probably so amazing and cathartic. They have performed at South by Southwest, but... I don't know. I can't afford to go to South by Southwest. Yeah, so. <laughs> you can. One day. One day we'll go to South by because it's also a film festival. It's actually the, it's really truly an OTL, an OTL like dreamscape. Exactly. It's, It'll be. It's a music and film festival. Well, that'll be, we'll, we'll um, jokingly set up a GoFundMe or a Patreon and it'll just have yeah. one category and it says get Ben and Adira to South by Southwest. South by Southwest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, time to move on to our film of the episode which is uh, The Decline of Western Civilization. The film was directed by Penelope Spheris. I was like, I know her name's Penelope because they say it in the thing, but Penelope Spheris. um, And it was released in July of 1981. But I think what's so interesting about it, the reason why I don't really care that much is because she really does just let the camera roll. Like she really Mm -hmm. does sort of separate herself from what's going on in this documentary um, more than obviously more than more than scripted films, but more than other documentaries that I've seen as well. Um, It's, it's really sort of like a a time capsule piece at at most points, not all, but at most. Um, But yeah, so the decline of Western civilization is actually a documentary that is split into three parts. And so we just watched the first part, which is about the Los Angeles punk rock scene from, it was filmed from December of 1979 to May of 1980 in Los Angeles, obviously. Um, And the other two parts are about, I believe the second one is about heavy metal. And then the third one is about, gutter punk maybe in the 90s um so they've really spanned over over decades but we just watched the first part um and there's not really much more to say than that because as i was saying before it really is in terms of general impressions you know spherus really does just let that camera roll for a lot of it and so it's very just like inserting you into the world of los angeles punk in the late say late 70s early 80s um but yeah, I haven't seen it before. This is my first time watching it. Ben, it was your first time watching it. What did you think? So as a punk fan, and my... I didn't grow up liking punk, interestingly enough. I Punk was a genre that grew on me when I hit about like 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. And I went to my first kind of like punk-styled shows. And instantly it all clicked and I completely got it. And I've been just this huge stand forevermore. And 
naturally when I was going through all the history, I came into the LA punk scene because it was so famous. And this time capsule for me, it was just mesmerizing to watch because the style is so interesting to me. How essentially you've got two main components where it is a performance of the band and that the home life of that band usually like on the next day sometimes around breakfast it seems and that split where you're finding these bands at their performance what they are known for and what they caused so much ruckus around and then the people behind them and just how and I mean this in the best way possible, like innocent and simple they are, mm-hmm. is really a super meditative for me. I found just like as a, like someone who loves punk, it was super meditative to see that kind of flip back and forth. And also my favorite scene by far was, why did you do that to your head? Because I'm ex-head. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I actually... I have a lot to say about that specific moment in general, um, but also that sort of sequence of, um, you know, so so Sphere spends a lot of the documentary, like you were saying, um, showing and complete songs, really, <laughs> of the band's performances um, and some of the bands just like, just to rattle off a few that she talks about. There's Germs, obviously. There's X, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, Fear, which... <laughs> We can talk about fear um, and uh, Alice Bagband. I think those are just the ones that I had like yeah. heard of before. And so she's, so she does, she spends a lot of the documentary showing um, footage of their live shows and then really intimate, small interviews, sometimes spliced in between live performances um, afterwards. And like you were saying, it kind of seems like, you know, the, the morning after or something, even though who really knows when, um, but then there's a section towards the end that is about, well, she interviews fans of punk music um, who are a part of that scene. They're all pretty young. Um, and she just asks them, you know, the questions you would ask anyone. Why, why do you like this music? How did you get into it? And all of that stuff. And so, so that's where Ben's favorite, favorite moment comes from. Um, but yeah, I really loved this. I loved how... I loved how non-judgmental it was all the way through. Mm. I think that there is a lot of judgment and opinion in documentaries, which are supposed to be, you know, unopinionated, but are inherently because we are human. They come from a place. um, And so they come from a position. So they are opinionated. (laughs) They're not, um, they're not just, a judgmental as a rule, but I found this to be one of the most non-judgmental documentaries I've ever seen about a topic that is incredibly judged. Um, and that's why I loved you using the word time capsule. I thought that word was yeah. It, it really is just like a time. Ca- it's kind of like she was just like, let me put this camera here, see what happens, just so people can see what was going on. Ask some sort of the the basic questions, which some of them have the most amazing answers. And then just, like, let the people see it. And even, I mean, it really struck me because even the club managers that she interviews, the um, 
just the general, the, uh, the people who run slash magazine, like all of those people who she interviews, who aren't even the musicians themselves, even they are incredibly non-judgmental. And, and these are the people that you would expect to be like, Oh, well kids these days, you know, are just getting into trouble. But really it's, I mean, I wrote down a few of the quotes of the early ones because it just surprised me so much because I was, I was, I was like, Oh, okay, here we go. Here's going to be the guy who's like, yeah, these kids nowadays, all they want is trouble. And that's why they beat each other up at these shows. And that's mm-hmm. why they listen to this music. But instead, you know, one guy was just like, Oh, you know, it's nowadays. I think the kids are more desperate or more bored. Um, and then another guy was like, yeah, they're yelling about the same things as protest music in the 60s. Um, and he specifically... I, I love that. He talked about folk music. It was yeah, amazing. and he yeah he said something about like how, you know, they used to use acoustic guitars and, and now, they're, <laughs> now they're using, you know, like it's the same thing. It's just a different instrument. Um, but that guy specifically said the phrase... Um, um, you know, they're they're yelling about how the air is poisoned out there. The air in Utopia is poisoned. The final joke. And I was like, this guy gets it. I was yeah. like, this guy yeah. knows. Um, and so it was just really, really cool just to see all of these sort of authority figures um, just, just be so point blank about it. You know, like, I these kids are nice kids. I think one of them even says they're nice kids. They just need to be doing something different. And and I think that that was just so impressive to me. Like I I really was expecting the documentary to go a different way than it did. I also, and interestingly, I think by being non-judgmental in that way, it allowed the criticisms of punk to come from itself. Yeah. Examples being, zooming in on the Nazi armbands that some people would wear or the grotesque stories about the ER trips that some of these people have had Mm -hmm. or near-death experiences or witnessing their own discomfort and mental struggles. Like all of these things are self-explanatory. You do not need some finger-wagging Ronald Reagan lover to come in to actually address these things you just need to let the scene speak for itself because you'll see all the ugly parts in itself yeah let's talk about darby crash for a second darby crash he died when he was 22 in december of 1980 so that would have been half a year after this thing came out right or after it was filmed anyway it would have come out after his death but um it would have it was filmed months before he died and it's so hard to watch him and see anything other than an innocent little boy like it's it's so hard to to watch him and even see some semblance of an adult who can subject himself to these things you know he talks a lot about um about getting loaded on drugs so he won't feel himself getting hurt um but getting hurt is also you know, like a part of the thing for him. It's a part of the the draw for him. And just, I don't, I don't know just about this sort of like laissez-faire attitude he has towards his, his own life, frankly. Um, But as he's saying these things and making like breakfast, you know, (laughs) as he's saying these things that are incredibly deep and incredibly heavy and sad and troubling, some would say, um, it's just you just see the child in him like like and it's it's so I don't know you're right it just humanizes every everything that punk is about everything that the fans are about even when they do shit which we can get into in a second or 
later um, when they're when she interviews the fans and they have some somewhat problematic uh, ideas. It just yeah. it just humanizes it humanizes all of it. You know, you know what it really reminded me of what is like modern day Reddit incel culture. Yes. Okay, so this is the thing I wanted to talk about about um when she's like, "Why did you cut your hair that way?" and he's like, "I'm an exhead." That guy was one of the kids who was like, "Oh yeah, girls are terrible. I I hate gr- girls are terrible." Yep. And I'm like, "The lead singer of X is Xine, a woman." Like what mm-hmm. <laughs> This doesn't even make sense. And I think that that was the th- Okay, well, <laughs> the one thing I did was like did vibe with when was the one kid who was like, I hate the cops. I'm like, <laughs> same. <Yeah. laughs> um, but then he followed that up with, doesn't really mean like, I'm going to go kill a Jew, maybe a hippie though. And I'm like, you lost me. You lost me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so crazy. how, And it's so crazy how quickly those interviews, it really highlighted one of the most legitimate critiques about punk, which is nothing about really the music, but it's the scene that it cultivated in the, complacency of the band members to allow Nazis and people who were just disgusting into the ranks just because it was like a fuck everything atmosphere. Yeah. I love that it wasn't afraid to show how toxic the community was, but it also gets to the root of that toxicity. And I think that that's what's important. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. what the non-judgmental take allows the film to do is to send a message of yeah there are certain things about this that are toxic but they're toxic for really valid reasons valid reasons that kids still today i mean you know all of the things that they were saying besides the sort of out of left field stuff are the same things that young kids are rapping about and singing about and talking about today you know i hate the cops i hate society why are things like this it's the same, except now instead of like hard rock guitar, we have synths and 808s and shit. You know, like it's, you know. 808s that make your ears fucking. Bleed. Exactly, exactly. And so it, I, I don't know. I think that this documentary is very illuminating in lots of ways. And it does that by not doing anything. I want, I want to say for listeners who maybe not are in the punk scene and hear this but want to go to a punk show, but then also know about these kind of more toxic elements. This is not what punk shows are like nowadays. No, 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 no. With the right bands. Because I've been to a lot of punk shows. A classic example I always bring up is the band Mannequin Pussy. They're from Philly, and it was one of the most rage-heavy shows I've ever been to. The crowd literally split in half and then ran at each other, and not a single person walked out of there you know, hurt and the culture around moshing has really evolved. It's really become a part of the culture to assume that moshing has mutual respect at the core of it. Yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. I'm more scared to go into the pit of a Travis Scott show than I am to go into the pit of any punk show. I just really want to talk about fear for a second. So fear is the Mm -hmm. last band that the documentary shows. They don't interview them or anything. Um, It's just like the, the live performances that the documentary ends on. So the only introduction you have to the band fear is the live shows that the documentary ends on. And it's the only band that interacted with the audience in a way that, 
attempted to rile them up and like personally insulted the audience, like direct ban to audience, direct conversation attempted to make them angry and incite some sort of like violence. Um, And so the band, especially the lead singer of fear, um, who, as soon as he opened his mouth, said use and i was like of course the most toxic one is from philly of course of course of course and i didn't even i went to look it up even though i really didn't need to because who else says use except people from philly um and so i was like no of, of course like of co- as soon as he opened his mouth i was like oh yeah of course the one yelling the f word at the audience is from philly of course we get that but um but yeah so they're you know like yelling horrible things to the audience particularly about gay people um and it's just like even that I don't I don't I don't even know what to say of it I think my main point was just like of course the most toxic ones are from Philly yeah and then the song starts (laughs) with him saying something about on South Street Philadelphia and I'm like okay of course like we get it yeah you're toxic you're from Philly it's whatever can we move on and then the documentary ends (laughs) and I'm like of course we're ending on the most toxic band and the lead singer happens to be from Philadelphia I hate it here (laughs) it's just like this is annoying I think that that is the perfect point to end it on yeah I had so much conflict in picking the next album for this coming week, right? Yeah. So it's one of my favorite bands. I would maybe argue it was the first band to introduce me to the fact that music could be weird. Okay. And the band is Animal Collective. Sweet. Now, Animal Collective, I don't know if you know any, do you know anything about them? I know you haven't listened to them. I I know zero. I've heard of the name, but... I know so little about them that I feel like looking back on it, I've heard of the name and confused it with Glass Animals. So I really, mm-hmm. I know nothing about Animal Collective. Absolutely nothing. Okay. So here's the thing with Animal Collective, right? Is they have a ridiculously long discography. Multiple of the albums are all classics and all have really unique reasons why they're so important. And oftentimes members will go missing and people won't be in the band and they'll change genres between it. So it's kind of hard to pin down like what is the definitive. Their most popular is definitely Meriwether Post Pavilion, but I don't think it's their best by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And then I was arguing between Strawberry Jam and Song Tongs. And I think intellectually... I understand that Strawberry Jam is the one that you should listen to, but I'm going to say, fuck it. It's our podcast, and I want you to know me better, so you're going to be listening to Sung Tongs, which is objectively an incredible album. I think that you'd be hard-pressed to leave it out of their top three, and it's probably their earliest like classic, but it both shows how they fueled really early kooky indie scene, And simultaneously, you are going to get to know a lot about me because this is probably one of my like top five favorite albums ever. All right. Um, Gosh, with that, with that build up, I hope I don't hate it. Um. (laughs) I mean, you can hate it. I I think that it's more likely you'll hate this one, actually. Uh, Like, like Oda Boogie Beaver, I was like, you're going to totally. I knew you'd like it. I'm so thrilled that it was your favorite so far. But like, I I was like, it's, it's impossible. She's going to hate this. But this might be the first one that you 
just genuinely like don't click with in the slightest. All right, we'll see. But I think, we'll see. but I think, I think it's good that you'll still get it because we need to, we need to have a little bit of tension here. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so yeah, so th- this was so not only was it hard for you, it was hard for me because Animal Collective so far is the first one that I know like zero 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 about. Um, and even you know you described it to me as kooky indie, which that can go in so many different directions. So I really Mm. didn't know where to go, but I just, I put it on faith that when it comes to kooky indie, that Noah Baumbach can, (laughs) can lead the way. And so Adam Driver pitching a wall in. Yeah, 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 of course. And to me, I mean, without question, I was really, really hoping that you would say, um, you hadn't seen this movie and you hadn't, thank God. Because to me, when it comes to Noah Baumbach, there's only, I mean, not to be like rude about it, but there's only one that's entirely tolerable. (laughs) Um, And that is Francis Ha, which. Yeah, I know zero about this film. Yeah. So Francis Ha, what I think is important to know about this film is this film stars Greta Gerwig. And Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are now partners it was also written by the both of them and so I don't know if it is the first thing they've worked on together or just the most popular thing they worked on together but I think if you're thinking about Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig as a unit as a union I think this film is it like this film is the best parts of both of them which is why this is probably to me the best Noah Baumbach movie but it just is very interesting I think it's kooky indie We'll see. Um, I don't know if you'll like it. I think that that is also something that, you know, we'll, we'll have to get into. But um, yeah, we, we, we're going to share it together. Yes. This fear of like not knowing if they're going to like something. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. So Francis Ha, directed by Noah Baumbach, written by Noah Baumbach and our queen Greta Gerwig. Um, that is your film for the next time. Our list are getting chopped off in the best way possible. Absolutely. And with that said, please listen to Oda Book Beaver. I need to see them live. Please, for the love of God. Yeah. So what I'm going to say about this is um, that is Itchikoma Hits by Oda Book Beaver and The Decline of Western Civilization by Penelope Spheris off the list. Um, and it should also be off your list. Like you need to go watch these and listen to these right now, right now, right now. Um, exactly. All right. All right. See you guys next time. (laughs) Off the list is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes.